let me let's let's pray before we start. I don't know how many of y'all got a chance to read it, but I know it's it was it's always been a little confusing to me. So let's pray. Lord, Father, we come before you today and God, we just thank you for just everything that you do, Lord, everything that you do for us and in us and through us. And we just ask that you be with us today, God, as we look at your word and we um, just assess our own lives and, and just uh, see what how you've taught us, God, to live this Christian life that you've given us, God, and, and to understand what it, exactly it is that we're walking into and walking through, God, with you. So, Father, we love you. We just ask that you be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, how many of you honestly read the thing and it was pretty confusing? Anybody? Cecily, you're the only one honest. Everybody else is there too. It's confusing to me too sometimes because it's just so many I want but I do and then the wants and do's and I didn't do what I wanted to do. It was, it was just, all that's just kind of, you know, you really have to take it apart just to kind of see what he's saying just because it, it flows so weird. You know, it just it just seems like it's easy to get lost. Easy to get lost in the deal. Verse 15. Verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. Allow there is going to mean I don't want to. I don't let it happen. I don't want to do what I do. It says, because what I do, and I'm putting my own words in there. It says, for what I, I would, that means what I want to do. That do I not. That means I don't do I'm reading verse 15. We're going to start verse 1, but it says, For that which I do, I don't want to do. I'm adding my own little deal here. For what I want to do, that I don't do. But what I hate is what I do. See what I mean? So we're going to get to that. I'm going to show you what he's talking about, hopefully. And... I'm hoping, I'm pretty sure that you're all going to relate to it because it's really part and parcel of the Christian life. And it's it's something that, <coughs> well, it's something that if you, if you don't understand that this is the way it is and the way it's going to be, it could lead you down paths that uh, could lead you to despair or to thinking, you know... I, Something's wrong with me. I just can't get this right. Or, I mean, it can lead to a whole a lot of things. Uh, chapter six that we did last week, there was two main objections. Or there's chapter six was one big objection, and chapter seven here is one big objection. The objection in chapter six was, can we just continue on in sin so that grace may abound? Remember where he says, you're not under law but under grace. And then the chapter six was, well, okay, can we just continue on in sin? and just do what we want to do and because we're under grace. And of course, Paul addressed that last week and we talked about that. This one is going to be the other side of the ditch. Um, you got two ditches that we don't want to fall in either one. One of them says, you know what, I'm under grace, so I can do whatever I want to do. I can live it up. I can party. I can just sin all I want to because God's got me covered. That's one side of the ditch. And if you fall off into that side of the ditch, you are not living a Christian life. You are not. You'd probably have to even examine yourself as to whether you are a Christian or not. And then the other side of the ditch is if I don't keep God's law absolutely perfectly every 
every ounce of every letter, then God doesn't love me. God won't be proud of me. God won't be happy with me. He won't be pleased with me. And I'll never see his favor. And he's going to, you know, he's just, it's called legalism. And what it is, is I have to perform. I have to perform my duty in the law in order for God to save me, in order for me to earn his favor, in order for me to earn his merit. And that's what he's going to talk about. So he's already told us. He's already told us in chapter 6 about how um, we are dead to sin. Remember that? We were dead to sin. And then he kind of explained what dead to sin means. It, he also explained how we are not slaves to sin anymore. Y'all remember that from chapter 6? So we're dead to sin, not slaves to sin. But he also said something. He said that we are not under law anymore, but we're under grace. Okay? And now he took chapter 6 to say, now that don't mean we can just live where however you want to right so we got that now he's going to go back to the law and he's going to say well what exactly does it mean that you know what it, what exactly is the law for us then if we're dead to the law and it doesn't it doesn't have dominion over us and what is the law something that we should avoid is it something we should keep what is our relationship to God's law and this is what he's going to answer in chapter 7 so I'll, I'll probably Probably go a little fast. I, I couldn't write all of chapter seven up here, um, but I'll tell you if it was wrote up here, what I underline, and you can just underline it in your own Bible. It says, chapter seven, know you not. The first thing he's going to show us is our relationship to the law. This is how you how you factor. What does God's law mean to you? You know, it's like um, you're. Paul, you're saying that I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace. So does that mean, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm free to go kill people now. Thou shalt not murder. I mean, it doesn't mean that the law is not there anymore. So what is, how is the law, how does the law function in my life? So that's what he's going to answer. He's going to say, know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now that's just common sense, okay? If I, if I beat Dana up and they arrest me for, uh, that's probably not a good example. Uh... Okay, you know, if, if, okay, look, if I, if I beat Dana up and they arrest me for like domestic violence or whatever they call it, and they put me in jail, and while I'm in jail, I died, can they, can the law punish me anymore? No, the law cannot punish me because it's only good if I'm alive. If, if I'm dead, they can't, can't punish me. You know, so they're saying, don't you know, brethren, I speak to them that know the law. Whoa. How that the law has dominion, it has rule over you just as long as you're alive. Because if you're dead, you can't be punished by the law, by in, in man's form of punishment. For, and he's going to give us an example of marriage. For if the woman, for the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as she lives... But if the husband's dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she's married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now, a lot of people take this verse to teach something about marriage and divorce. That's beside Paul's point. Okay, that's beside. It has nothing to do with Paul's point. His point is just like I use the point about beating up my wife and getting arrested for domestic abuse. 
He's using marriage. If you are married to somebody, if a woman is married to somebody, this does not teach anything about divorce or anything about remarriage after divorce. It doesn't teach anything about that. This is saying you, the, the woman can't be married to another man while she's married to this man. See what I mean? It's saying the only way she can escape the law of marriage is if he dies. See what I mean? So death is the only thing that can release you. So what he's going to do is use that as an example of what Christ did for you. So it says, verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead. Remember when we said you died with Christ? Remember that you were united with him in death? When he died on the cross, that means you died with him because you were united with him. So you died. So you are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, so that, I put the so in there, that you should be married to another. Who is the one you're married to? Christ, that's right. We are the bride. The church is his bride. He is the groomsman. Even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit to God. Okay? So, what he's saying there, don't get lost. I know it's a lot of, it's a lot of strangeness going on in there. And you're thinking like, how does that really even apply to my life? But what he's saying is that when Christ, when Christ died... He released you from the penalty of the law. You were under the law's condemnation because you had broken the law, okay? It doesn't matter if you start right now, today, let's say I start right now and I start keeping the law from now on and I keep it perfectly the rest of my life, okay? Which is impossible, but let's just say I did. I kept it perfectly the rest of my life. I would still be under the law's condemnation and punishment because of what I had broken previously. Does that make sense? The judge if you stand before a judge, I don't know how many of y'all been in court, but I've been in court a bunch. And yeah, I've been in this. And uh, the judge don't care how much good you've done up to that point or how much good you intend to do the rest of your life. All he cares about is what you did wrong and what is the punishment for what you did wrong. That's his job. And that's all he cares about. You can say, you know, if you, if like you to use Dana, if we got like a domestic violence thing going on and I walked up there and the judge is like, okay, you're guilty. And I said, but look, man, I, I'm the youth pastor. I help all the kids at church and I'm, I'm a good guy and I'm a great neighbor and I'm a good father and all this he would not care not one bit none of that would count on my record all he would all he wants to do is to bring justice for the crime that I've committed does that make sense so what it's saying is that believers just like a woman is released from the law of marriage when her husband dies you have been released from the condemnation of the law because you died with Christ what is the punishment for breaking God's law the wages of sin is death that payment has already been paid in Christ. So when you died, like chapter 6 said, you died with Christ, united with Him in death, that payment for your life, for believer's life, has been paid. Therefore, you're released from, you're released from the condemnation and the punishment and the justice of the law. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Okay. So the marriage thing right there in chapter 7, it's not... 
you know, a lot of people use that for teaching something about divorce and remarriage. And there are passages that teach stuff about that. And we can talk about that if you want to. But Paul is using this as an example of how we are freed from the law. Okay? It's not teaching what you should or should not do if you're divorced or getting divorced or whatever. You know, that's, that is just an example about being delivered from the law. So if I'm delivered from the law, if I am freed from the law's condemnation, how does the law, should, should I just throw the law away and say I ain't going to worry about it? You know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not. How many ladies think we should throw away the commandment that says thou shalt not commit adultery? And it'd be okay if your husband just goes out and does whatever. Say so nobody raising a hand. So we know that the law is good. Hey, Jessica, how are you? <laughs> we know that the law is good because we don't want to kill and we don't want to steal and we don't want to lie. We, God has put that in our heart that we know that, that those things are wrong. So it's not like, well, the law just don't matter anymore. So how does it function? Okay, it says, it's, I'm going to show you four ways it functions in these verses and then we'll read them. It says, the law reveals your sin. How does the law reveal your sin? Just, I mean, that's kind of obvious. Somebody. It what? Yeah. It, you, you know that this is a sin because the law says this is a sin. Yeah. And the example that he uses, it says, what shall we say then is the law sin? See, if we're saying that you've been released from the law, the law had you in bondage and condemnation and justice and all these things. We, and now you're released. It sounds like I'm saying the law is bad. The law is bad. And you've been freed from the evil law. But that's not what he's saying. The law is actually good. It's us that are bad. Look at verse 7. It says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, that's what's inside of me, taking occasion by the commandment, he took the opportunity that the commandment brought, and it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. How many of y'all know what concupiscence is before you read this there? Did you know what it was? Okay. Huh? Lust. If you, if you, uh, just for your own personal edification, if you look at verse 7 and verse 8, the word lust... The word covet, you underline the word lust, underline the word covet, and underline the word concupiscence. All three of those words are the same word in the Greek text. Epitome is lust, evil desire, passion, however you want to say it. All three of those words, although they're three different words in our English text, they're the same, they're the same word in the Greek text. It means passion, evil desire, uh, wrong lust, whatever you want to call it. So it says, but think about it. It's saying, why would he just use coveting? Like the 10th commandment. Like, why would he just use wanting something wrongly? Instead of, I would not know, have known what murder was except the law said do not murder. Or I would not have known what stealing was except the law had said do not steal. Why do you think he used just coveting? That's the only one he mentions. Yeah, it's something that's inside you. Like the Pharisees of the day, they would think, you know, as long as you're not doing it, 
You know, as long as you're not doing the sin, it's okay. It's not really sin. You know, that's when when Jesus came. He said, he said, um, he said, you you have heard it said of all that thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the command. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus said, but I tell you, he said that the one who the man who looks at another woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery in his heart. He was saying the law is not just saying that you cannot do the commandment. It's talking about your heart too. It's saying that you have a heart problem, that there's something going on in your heart that's sin. There's something going on in your mind that's sin. So he's saying the law is a good thing because it reveals your sin. It it arouses your sin. How do you think it arouses? Have you ever told your kid, if you got kids, don't do this? And what's the first thing they want to do? It's, hey, it's everybody. I mean, it's all of us. It's like, don't step there. And then when they turn around, you're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, you just want to. You just want to. Hey, that looked good. Then it's like a ballerina or something. <laughs> Big fat ballerina. You, you know, I read this story one time about... This guy, he he was standing in the park. It was a like a park worker, you know, rec, park and rec guy. And he was standing, and his job was to paint the benches that was in the park. He was just going around painting the benches, you know. He was going. <laughs> I ain't even gonna touch that with a ten foot pole. <laughs> so he was painting the benches, and then he put a sign up that says "Wet paint, do not touch." And it was just amazing how many. I'm talking about grown folks would just come up. You know, touch the wet just to make sure. Is it wet? Is it really wet? Let me make sure. When, we, when we're told not to do something, that's what happened to Eve, right? Eve has got all, even Adam have all these trees, all this fruit that they can eat. And then the serpent comes and says, you know, it's, you, but you can't eat this way. It just talks about what you can't do. It's just this one tree. And this is the one you really need. And what does Eve, Adam do? They're like, oh, I need that. You know, why? Because that's the one he told me not to. It, when you, when you, it's something about the sinful nature that's within us, within us. And when I say the word flesh, I'm talking about sinful nature. I don't like using the term sinful nature because it's really not used in Scripture that much. But it's called the flesh. So when I say flesh, I'm not just talking about skin and bone and muscle. I'm talking about the sinful sinful self within us. Um, when, you, when you give the flesh a law, the flesh immediately says, Oh, we want to break the law. We want to break that rule. We want to do, we want to do what we're not supposed to do. And it just seems that way. So it arouses sin and it kills us. It says, I was nine, for I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived or sin became alive and I died. Okay. Okay. Now I want you to think the rest of this chapter is going to be talking about living our Christian life. And I want to tell you one of the biggest pitfalls that people who are saved fall into is, I want you to think about this. When you were first saved, if you were saved, and I'm just, this is, this is class. So I'm assuming that you are, if you're not, you need to examine yourself and and we need to talk about it. But if when you were first saved, do you remember how it just seemed like, and it was like, but it felt to you like the slate was just clear and there was just nothing. 
God had forgiven. Bang, it's just done. There's clean slate. God loves me and I love God. And it's just like we have this relationship now and he's accepted me by grace and there's nothing I have to do. I don't have to jump through no hoops. He's just, you remember how that felt? I was alive. It's like, this This is what Paul's going to start talking about is his, his walking, trying to live in God, but trying to do it in my own power, my own self, my own righteousness, my own, my own living. He's saying, you know, when you came, when you, this is what I'm, this is what I'm taking. When you came and you were born again and it just pow, blank slate, right? Everything's wonderful. And then you start walking in the Christian life. Okay, now I'm going to work and now I'm going home. And, and then, you know, you stub your toe the first time and you see it and you're like, oh no, God don't like me as much anymore as he did before, you know. And then you start saying, well, I got to keep this law and I got to stop doing these things and I got to start doing these things. And, 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 and when, I do, when I do this, I, uh, I'm breaking this law. And then, but when I try to do it this way and, and if I feel good about doing it that way, then I'm prideful and then I'm breaking that law. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden you start bringing the law into your relationship with God. And what happens? You find out I'm not doing anything right. And so what does that do? It kills you. I mean, it, it, it actually destroys that fellowship that you have with God because you've taken the gospel out of the picture, haven't you? Because when you first came to God, it was all gospel, right? It was all oh, blank slate. Everything's fine. Jesus loves me. And now all of a sudden you're basing your relationship on God with how well you're doing or how poorly you're doing. Okay, And once you start walking down that road, you're going to end at the dead end every time. Because we're going to see here in a minute, Paul says, look, I'm, I'm trying to do what I want to do. Uh, what I want to do is not really what I'm doing. And I end up doing the evil thing that I don't want to do. So what he's saying is, I was alive once when the law, like it said at the beginning, when we were freed from the law, when we were delivered from the law's conduct, I was alive and I, I understood that I had a relationship with God and I, and I felt the, the blank slate that he had provided for me that when Jesus Christ was crucified and took away my sin and it was all gone and I, I walked with God and I was just so happy and joyful, not because, oh, I got this fuzzy feeling in my heart, but because I knew that all my sins were forgiven and there was nothing I could do to earn it. And then when you start trying to walk in this gospel, you start understanding, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect yet. I, I, I'm still messing up here and I'm still messing up there and I'm still, I'm still stubbing my toe over here and I still, I'm still getting angry over here and I'm still getting prideful over here and I'm still... And then if you start basing your relationship with God on how well you're doing in those law categories... You're gonna be you're gonna be in despair before before the day's out probably. Mm -hmm. Y'all with me? Everybody understand that? He's also saying that God is not God enough to save you fully. You start relying back on your own. Go back to works, yeah. And you don't like if you asked me, you know, if you asked me and said, "Do you believe in salvation by works?" I would say, "Absolutely not." I do not believe that. And I really don't believe that. But the way we're walking our Christian life out, in practice, we're walking as if we believe in salvation by works. <laughs> See what I mean? Because if 
And it works both ways, whether I do bad or good. You know, we love the thing. Now, in chapter 6, we've already talked about, shall we continue in sin? So I'm not saying, don't take me to say, well, I can just go sin all I want to because I'm under grace. If that's you, then you're probably not saved yet. But we can't fall into the other ditch either and say... I've got to do X, Y, and Z, or I'll, I'll never be right with God. He'll never be happy with me. No, you can't do that. You can't do that because you're not going to make X, Y, and Z. You're just not going to do it. Even when, even I find in myself, there was a time when, of course, when I was first saved, there was a time when I thought, I'm, I'm perfect now, you know, and God is just, I'm just, I don't know what's wrong with all these people. You know, if they would just be like me, everything would be awesome, you know. And then, of course, God started revealing more and more of my sin and all that kind of stuff. And, and I would battle with this sin and battle with that sin and battle with this sin. And then I would start getting victory over these sins as I was, as I was trusting in Christ and letting him lead me and stuff. And then all of a sudden I caught myself going, well, I got victory over that. I'm doing good. And then I said, well, that's pride. And I was like, I'm, now I'm back down here. So now I'm back down here again. You know what I mean? So the more that you, the, the, the Christian life Living in this gospel, it's going to be a war between your new nature that God has put in you, the Holy Spirit that has made you a new man, a new woman, a new creature, and the old flesh that still remains in you that desires to do what it wants to do. Okay? Everybody with me? Any questions? Y'all got, got it? Okay? So it says, look, I was alive. The law came. Killed me. It says, now it's not the law that's the bad thing. It's sin within us. 11. For sin, taking the opportunity, the occasion by the commandment, it deceived me just like it did Eve, and by it it slew me. It says, so, wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. It's not the law that's bad. The law is good. It shows God's nature. It shows God's standard. It shows God, what God expects of me. It's my sin and my flesh that's bad that makes me come up under bondage to the law. Okay? You with me? So when we're talking about the law here, we're not saying, oh, the law is bad and you need to be delivered. The law is good and it's holy and just and it's right. And when it says something's wrong, it's wrong. I mean, if you, if you disagree with the law, that you're free to do that, but just understand you're wrong. As simple as that. So, the law is holy just as good, and it says this whole next part the, it shows sinfulness. It says was that then was then that which is good made death unto me. Did the law kill me? It says, God forbid. It said, but sin that it might be, it says appear sin, but it might be revealed as sin worked death in me by the law, by that which is good. See? So it's not the law, it's sin that did it. My sin, in order that it would appear sinful, the law makes sin, sin. See what I mean? So because the law says when you think this way, it's sin. When you do this thing, it's sin. When you do that, it's sin. And by the law, I can use it as a measuring stick to judge myself. And I say, if I'm doing that, it's wrong. If I'm doing that, it's wrong. If I'm doing that, it's wrong. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Carnal means fleshly. I'm carnal, sold under sin. And then here's where we get into the following the flesh deal. I want you to look at how many times the pronoun I is used in this section. What he's talking about here, he's talking about a man 
trying to live out the Christian life, trying to live the commandments of God under his own strength, under his own power. And he's going to show us completely that you, by yourself, in your own will, in your own determination, have you ever said, you know what, I'm just tired of that and I'm not going to do it anymore. And then like two days later, there you go again. You know what I mean? Am I the only one did that? Okay, well, one of y'all need to teach class then if I'm the only one because maybe I got the problem. You can't in your own power live this Christian life. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why the Spirit works in us. That's why we have to depend on that Spirit. You can't do it. It says, and this is where I always get confused, the eyes... It says, for that which I do, I allow not, which means I don't want to. I don't want to do that which I do. For what I would, which means what I want to do, that I don't do. That do I not. But what I hate, that's what I do. Okay? How many people are confused? It's confusing, right? I know it. Okay, I don't, okay, that first part is I don't want to do... What I'm doing, is that what you're saying? Right. Well, it says, the thing that I'm doing, I don't want to do. Okay? 15. Yeah. 15, 16, 17, all the way through 20 are basically saying the same thing. He's just kind of repeating it over and over just to make sure that we get it. Okay, so it says, look... For I don't want to do what I'm doing. I don't understand what I'm doing. For I do not do what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. Is that better? Yes. Okay. I don't do what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. And then it says, now 16. (laughs) If then I do that which I would not. So it's saying, if I'm doing... The things that I don't want to do, it says I consent unto the law that it is good. Okay, what that means is it's saying you know in yourself that the law is not evil, it's good. Because you want to do the law, but you can't do the law in your flesh. Okay, so it says, now 17 says, and this is where a lot of people get confused. It says, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Okay, now right here you need to make sure you understand Paul is going to, there's more I's in this, in this section of the chapter than there are in the whole book. I do this and I want to do that and I do this and I do that. And he's showing, he's showing us that under our own power, in our own strength, in our own self-will, in our own determination, in our own, in our own just I'm going to do it, you know, pull your, up your bootstraps and go to town, go to work. You are not going to be able to do this because there resides in you that I hate calling it the sinful nature. It's the flesh. Paul calls it the flesh. But it's that old man, that sinful, that sinful person that's still there. Now, I don't want you to think that he is saying I'm not responsible for what I do. That is not what he's saying. Because at the end here, he's going to say, oh, who's going to deliver me, wretched man that I am? He takes responsibility for his sin. But what he's doing is he's separating in this, in this passage, he's separating the new man that God has made you. 
Okay, in my mind, in my heart, I want God. I desire God. I want to do His will. I want to follow Him. I want to be in relationship with Him. And He's separating that from the old flesh that doesn't want Him. I want to sin and I want to do those things. So He's saying, although I am a new creature in Christ and I am a new man, there is still something inside of me that desires to do wrong, desires to do evil. And those two things constantly war against each other. The, the man that I, that I really am, what, what's inside of me that wants to do right, and the flesh in which I live that wants to do wrong, okay? I know it's confusing. Is everybody with me? Does anybody have a question? I mean, I can do it another way. I would rather you ask a question and let's just stay on this verse the rest of the time than to go on and not understand, okay? Do you see what he's saying? Really? So, evidently, I did a good job then, huh? Okay, okay. Just make sure. Huh? You got a question, Barbara? Okay. It was actually a compliment to you. But I didn't, I don't like to give it to you. Oh, okay. So you gave it to her? She'll give it to me. Okay. Now then, it's no more I do it, but sin dwells in me. Now listen, it says, For I know that in me, and he clarifies himself. What's he mean? In my flesh. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing in my flesh that's good. That's what he says. He says, and this is how I know that. Because the, to will, the want to is present in there. I really, really want to. God has put it in me to want to. But how to perform that which is good, I, I don't find it in there. See what I mean? It's not a matter of, okay, good, bad, I'm going to do good, it's all good. Because there, there is this, this sin that I, that, I, that I was born into that I still live with and, and now I have the Holy Spirit in me that's greater than that sin that wars against that. And, you know, it, it's just this big battle all the time going on. It says, 19, he's going to restate what he said before, so don't get bogged down in the details. It says, for the good that I would, that I want to do, I don't do, but the evil that I don't want to do, that I do. Okay? So he's just restating what he said. Now, if I do that, which I don't want to do, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Okay? So basically, those two verses just restated what we've already talked about before. Okay. Now, everybody with me? What time is it? It's five after. Okay. A lot of times, we take this battle, this this. And, and this is all problem. This is our problem. And we're not going to get to the solution to the problem until chapter 8. That's where the solution is at. So it's going to be all, all bad news today. And then chapter 8 is going to show us the solution. But it says, it says that in our own flesh, in our own flesh, he's saying, I cannot conquer this this flesh, this sinful passions, these sinful desires, what we talked about earlier as lust and coveting, 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 uh, coveting, all those things, you can't conquer those with I, okay? I cannot do these things myself. Myself cannot conquer them. Myself cannot do what I really want to do. The, the I in me, the, in my own strength, my own power, my own flesh, I cannot live this Christian life. 
It's only by the Spirit of God, and we're going to see that in chapter 8, that I can do these things. So when a believer, when someone who's been saved, they are struggling against the flesh, and they are fighting against, warring against this sin, and the Spirit of God in them is, is rising up and, and doing battle every single day against the, the sinful passions and affections and the things that I want to do in my pride and my, my all these things, my, my malice and my hatred and my, all these things are just warring around in me. That is evidence that the Holy Spirit is present and that our faith in Christ is going to see us through to the victory. Okay? So the evidence of victory is that there's a battle going on. Make sense? The one who is not in Christ, the one who is lost, there's no battle going on in them. They may appear religious, they may want to do religious, but in their hearts, in their minds, it's really just, I really don't care. You know, I mean, I know I don't murder and I know I don't do this, but everybody's doing this and it's just part of human nature and this is just how... That's not how a born-again person thinks because the Spirit of God is coming to them and they hurt when they sin. They hurt. I mean, God comes and chastises them like any father would his children and when you sin, it it burdens you. It hurts. It. You're convicted. You're. I mean, you're just. I, I don't even know the right words to explain it. But there is a constant. And and more times than once, I can count. I. I will never. I will never do this again. You know, I've told y'all before about issues with pride and stuff like that. And when I finally lick it in one instance, I'll say, I got that done. And man, I ain't never gonna fall into that again. And then the next week, here you go, right. What I want to do, I don't do. But the thing that I hate and I'm trying to kill in my life, that's what I fall right back into it again. I fall right back into it again. And so that's what he's meaning when he's saying the thing that I don't want to do is the thing that I'm doing. It's not that, okay, I'm under grace. Let me just go sin and do all I want to do. It's this battle all the time. It's like when I defeat it and I kill it and I think it's dead and it's gone and I've got it, then here it comes again. And I'm like right back into it. See what I mean? Y'all with me? Y'all are all looking at me. No questions, comments, no cries of outrage. A cry of outrage? Okay, go ahead. In verse 2, it says, I've learned in the law that when I will do good, That's exactly right. That's exactly right. What he's saying there is that verse 21 is kind of a summary of everything we've said. It says, I find then a law. Remember, we're talking about the law. He says, well, here's a law for you. It says that when I would do good, when I want to do good, when I'm wanting to do right, evil is still present there with me. Evil is still right there. So where chapter 6 says... You know, don't do anything bad. How can I stop doing bad? Chapter 7 is asking, how can I really do anything good? Uh, Because, I mean, think about it. Even, you know, the Bible says that our righteousness, our righteousness, not who we are in Christ, but our own righteousness is like filthy rags. So even the works that we do without Christ's righteousness on them, without the death, the burial, the resurrection covering those things, it's still just, it's still just evil. 
So it reminds me of the story Jesus told about the servant who expected a reward for his service. And the master told him, he said, I mean, you've just done what you were supposed to do. Jesse did it. He did that to me the other night. He said, uh, he said, what did he say? What do you want? He want a video game or something. He wanted something. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll clean my room and I'll feed the cats and I'll, you know, he just had this list. And I said, that's stuff you're supposed to be doing anyway. That you want to get rewarded, you got to do something more than, you know. And so when we're obedient to the law, we're expecting God, oh God, give me a reward. God's saying, that, that's just what you're supposed to do. That's just your, I mean, that's, you don't get no reward for that. And so when we find that when, even when I do do good, I said do, do. Even when I do, when I do good, when I, I'm sorry. When I do, do good, evil is still there. So... I have no righteousness in my own that I can boast in. I have no I have no reason to say I have done anything. It says I do, I want to, but I can't. The things that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. It says, so even when I do good, evil is present right there with me. Because in myself, now there are, man, I hate saying two natures. I hate that. It's the flesh and the spirit. It's the flesh and the spirit. That's the way, that's the way Paul puts it. That's the way I like to put it. Inside me, there's flesh and there's spirit. Flesh and spirit. It's evil and good. And they, they knock heads every day. And what that's doing is growing you in righteousness. Okay? And there's one thing you can be sure of. None of us grow in righteousness as fast as we want to. If you're a believer, you want to grow a whole lot faster than God's growing you. But the, the thing is, and we'll see this in chapter 8, is that when you base your Christian life on what God, what Christ has done in the gospel, then you understand that you are going through this process of, it's called sanctification. It's called making you more and more holy, making you more and more uh, good, making you, your relationship with God is growing closer and closer. And tomorrow you're going to be more, you're going to be in a deeper relationship with God than you were today. And it seems like sometimes you take two steps forward and go four steps back and then take two more steps forward and then go three steps back. And it just seems like that's the way it goes. But understand that one of the promises that God made, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and that you will go to heaven when you die? That's a promise of God. You say, yes, absolutely. I believe that. Well, then another promise of God that you should absolutely have your faith in is that he will complete what he starts. Philippians 1, 6 says that, uh, what does it say? For I know, we know that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Philippians 1 6. Being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. Until. Until. So many people read that verse and that. Can y'all read that? That is awesome looking. 
So many people read that verse and say and think that he's going to carry it on. He's going to finish that good work when Jesus, the day of Jesus, gets here. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says he's going to carry on that work until. So from this day until the day Jesus returns, the day of Christ, day of judgment, whatever you want to call it, you will be growing in holiness. You will be growing in sanctification, and that comes through the war that's going on between your flesh and your spirit. And it don't come any other way. That's the way God has chosen to do it. So the fight that's going on in you is evidence that God has given you the promise that he is going to complete that work until the day of Christ. Y'all with me? All right, let's finish up. And we'll be done. Uh, Yeah, I got to hurry. Verse 22. Okay, we just did that. I find a law that evil's present with me. For, now this is it. For I... It's talking about the inner man, spirit. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. It says, the real me, the new creature, delights in the law of God. It says, but I see another law in my members. What did we say members were in verse 6? I mean, chapter 6. Your flesh, your flesh, your hands, your eyes, your ears, your, your feet, the way you act, the way you think, the way you talk, the way, you know, your members. It says, I see another law. And this law is warring against the law of my mind. You know, it says that we are renewed in the, in the renewing of your mind. You're transformed. It says, but there's a law in my members that's warring against this law in my mind. And it says, and it brings me into, it's trying to bring me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, which is in my body, my flesh, which is, which is trying to take me captive. It's warring against these things. And the solution to the problem is in the last two verses, and he's going to carry it through to chapter eight. You've got to come to the end of, I can do it in my own self. I determine in my own self that I will never do this again. Those are great things. Those are awesome things. We should be determined in every day that I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that and I'm not those are wonderful don't stop doing that that's what sanctification is but never can you base your relationship with God on how well or how poorly you're doing you understand if you're saved if you're saved you remember my favorite little saying you're either 100% righteous or you're zero there ain't no in God's, in the Father's eyes, there's no, well, he's pretty good. He's a little better today. You're either righteous in Christ, saved perfectly, absolutely complete in him, or you're absolutely wicked and without merit before God. There is no, there is no scale in God's eyes. The scale is in how we live, okay? I'm getting better today than I was yesterday. And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm learning, I'm not learning, but I'm being transformed into, I'm being in practice transformed into what God has made me in position. Does that make sense? God has said I'm perfect in Christ. Daily I'm being transformed into being perfect in Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. So right here Paul comes to the end of himself. He says, oh wretched man that I am. Verse 24. Who shall deliver me from the body of death? He says, you know what? I can't do it. I need someone to deliver me from this. And it says, the deliverance came, verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And what he's saying there is not just, oh, I'm serving two masters, because we know that he's already said you can't do that. What he's saying is that from now on, there's a war going on. 
And this war is just going to continue. And he's going to say, he's going to say in chapter, in chapter eight, we're going to see that we've already received, we've already attained victory, even though the war is still going on and it's going to be through Christ. And chapter eight is one of the most beautiful texts of scripture in all of the Bible. So we may spend a little more time on that, but what I need you to see from this is there is a war going on in you. And if there's not a war going on in you, then you're probably not a Christian. Because God has put a spirit inside of you that desires Him, that loves Him, that wants to serve Him, that wants to do for Him, that wants to live for Him. It's there. He promised it would be there. If His promise failed, that He said He was going to put it in there, then there's no way you can trust the promise that you're going to go to heaven. Because both of them are promises of God. He said, I will put a spirit in you and cause you to keep my commandments. And so... What we can't do, though, is we can't take that war that's going on in us and judge how the Father sees us by if I'm doing good today or if I'm doing bad today. You understand? Because when you do that, you start heading down the road to despair. Because I got to tell you, no matter how good you think you are, And no matter how bad you think you are, I've met some people that really know the depth of their sin. No matter how bad you think you are, I promise you, you're a whole lot worse than you think you are. No matter how bad. I mean, you can say I've done X, Y, and Z and I'm the worst in the world. I promise you in God's eyes, you're a whole lot worse than you think you are. So even on our worst days, God is looking at us through eyes of grace because on our best days, we don't even realize how much we're sinning and how awful we are before God and how we're breaking his laws. That makes sense? Y'all with me? So we cannot, as believers in Christ, if you are a believer and that's between you and God, you cannot judge your relationship with him based on Am I doing all his laws right? Or am I doing, am I messing up here? Am I messing up there? If you've been saved in the gospel. Remember? Remember what we said right at the beginning? When you were first saved, you remember the blank slate? It was a blank slate. It was like everything was new. God loves me and he's forgiven me. And then as you start living the Christian life, you start realizing, hey, I'm not perfect yet. And I start, and if you start judging your relationship with God based on how well you do, And it's going to be bad because there's a war going on inside you all the time. Spirit in the flesh. And in chapter 8, we're going to talk about how to to do battle. You know, the the battle is won not by sheer force of will saying, I will do this and I'm going to make sure I can't do it. Self cannot do it. You have to do it by the leading of the Spirit. And we're going to see that as we talk about warring in the Spirit and in the flesh and how you starve the flesh and follow the Spirit. All that's in chapter 8 and I'll send you those outlines But what I need you to see is if the gospel and foundational for your Christian life, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection is how you have to see your relationship with God. Because if you try to put anything, I'm doing good, I'm doing good in there, it's going to fail you every time and you're going to end up being feeling worthless and despairing and all those things. You remember how you felt when you first saved blank slate? God hadn't changed. That's still how He sees you if you're born again. You understand? Doesn't matter what you've done until from there until here. If you've sinned, He's convicted you. You've dealt with that. You know, you've probably paid consequences for that. But that doesn't change your standing before God. Everybody with me? Make sense? That's kind of a helpful lesson, isn't it? I know it's helpful to me because I have a tendency to 
you know, when I help kids or when I counsel somebody or when I pray for somebody or when, you know, just in day-to-day ministry things, you know, when it does good, I start thinking, hey, I'm the man. You know what I mean? And that's bad sinful. And then when it doesn't, when it doesn't work out, I think, well, I ain't worth nothing. God hates me, you know? And you don't really think that, but that's how you feel. You know, it makes your heart heavy. The gospel is how our relationship is with God, period. Nothing else. Everything else is God working in me. The fact that I want to go help somebody, that's God working in me. That's not me. Because remember, it says nothing good is in my flesh. That's God working in me. The fact that I don't want to do what he's told me not to do is not me. It's God working in me. It's the spirit in me. Okay? Y'all with me? All right. Let's pray and we'll go. Father, we love you, God. And we thank you that the battle that we go through as as a Christian, God, we know that we weren't called as saved people. We weren't called to to just a life of, of luxury and sitting back in comfort, God. When you you saved us, you called us to war. You called us to war above all other things against our own flesh and our own sin. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that we can come in the midst, in the heat of the battle, in the in the very center of the, of the hardest firefighting that's going on, God. We can look up to you and thank you that you've already given us the victory and that the, the fact that we are actually in the battle is proof that we have already won the victory in you. And God, we can just rejoice in you, thanking you that you have... Uh, you have forgiven us and that you have won this battle that we're in by the gospel and that if we just if we just follow that gospel if we just take that gospel and make that our only standing before you make that our only righteousness before you God what a peace that passes all understanding that you give us Lord so father we ask that you'd be with us as we go into service right now and that you would be with the preacher Lord as he's bringing your word and that you would just touch our hearts and help us to hear what you have to say to us today God and to uh, to use that in our lives to change us, Lord. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.